Hi, I'm Rubens Barrichello, and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Bom dia a todos aqueles que falam português. And it's a pleasure for me to be here, really. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Grid, presented by the new Bose noise-canceling headphones 700. I'm Tom Clarkson, and my guest this week is a man who experienced pretty much every emotion under the sun during his Formula One career. Early on, he had to deal with a huge accident at Imola in 1994, and then the death of his hero and friend Ayrton Senna just two days later. He went on to experience the euphoria of winning races for Ferrari, but also the disappointment of being forced to give up race wins for his teammate Michael Schumacher. And he also knew a thing or two about longevity, because no driver in history has driven in more Formula One races. I'm talking, of course, about Rubens Barrichello. Rubens and I caught up at Interlagos a couple of weeks ago, where just walking through the paddock with him was an uplifting experience. Everyone stopped to say hi and wish him well, and even when we settled down in the F1 hospitality area to record the podcast, the goodwill wishes didn't stop then. His former boss, Ross Braun, was sat on a table behind us, as you're going to hear a little bit later. I've known Rubens since his early Jordan days, and he hasn't changed. He's still the same passionate guy, in love with racing as ever he was. It was lovely to see him again, and he had plenty to say. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Rubens, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to see you again. I feel like I've known you for quite a long time oh, yeah, now. Yeah, we do, actually. <laughs> it's been a while, isn't it? Oh. Um, now, look, we're speaking in Sao Paulo, your home city. Um, so let's wind the clock back and start with, when did you become aware of racing? Um, well, it was the day that uh, my, my grandfather gave me my first go-kart. It was uh, on the parking lot of the Interlagos go-kart track. Uh, the parking lot, because the track wasn't open, and we, we found a way to actually just go around. And, uh, and it was the only time I actually drove on the parking lot uh, of that uh, uh, go-kart track. But uh, I became aware of, uh, of something very special, like um, a, a real love. And I, I just... Uh, I couldn't stop asking my father for more and more, and uh, he made me aware that we didn't have the money to, to, to get me to the racing, but he could get me for practice. And um, as he went, then uh, we, we know a little bit of the story, but it's, uh, that was the first time I, I just fell in love with it. But were you aware of racing prior to that moment? Had you been to Interlagos before yeah. to, my, to watch my, the Grand my Prix? Grandma, my grandma lived in, in, uh, in, in between turns one and two. So I had seen uh, prior to that moment uh, uh, Formula One races. So I've, I've seen there was a time when the, um, you remember that Lotus uh, SX? It was 79, I think the SX was, uh, was the, the sponsor. And uh, Mario Andretti crashed right in front of us and his tire was was right in front of me and i i think i was four or five and i want to jump to grab the tire and and my my mother never never let me do that and luckily she never did but uh it was so close it was something that we need we at the time the house is still there now uh, my grandma passed uh two two years ago but the house is still there 
But if you go there, there's a massive grandstand in front. At that time, on the uh, late 70s, there was none. There was, you know, it was the best grandstand in, in, the, in the whole uh, Interlagos. And from that moment then, seeing Mario crash in the Essex Lotus, was it always Formula One for you? Or was, um, for me, it was always, of, of course, then throughout the career, we could see the likes of uh, Emerson Fittipaldi coming back to do go-karts and then eventually do Indy cars and so on. But the F1 was always uh, on, my, on my mind, you know. After that day on the parking lot, I visit the Kopersucker factory, which was close to the Kopersucker with Emerson when, whenever he was racing the, those, you know, yellow cars. And uh, What do you mean you visited it? You just... I just went Did you there. know Emerson? Or? Um, Emerson knew I was racing because I raced with Christian Fittipaldi. So I just took my bike and went there. And uh, in Interlagos, you could do those things. You, you know, I, I went bicycling all, 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 the, all the way. I mean, we, from, from the racetrack to where I lived, to the go-kart, it was like a triangle of a three-kilometer. So I went there. I saw when Renault came to, on the 80s, they came to Interlagos and ran the track just for them for a full week. I knew the the guys at the door so I came bicycling and I, I saw the whole practice so yeah Formula One was 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 all the back of my mind and can you remember the moment you first met Emerson yes it was on a racetrack and I um, it was I, I actually that day it was a bit uh, he came to see Christian but I was on pole and Christian was second and uh, I have uh, he took a picture with me and I have that picture nowadays still. It's, uh, it's just amazing that he always, although he was uh, on Christian's, obviously, favor because of family and so on, he always treated me so well. He was always nice to me. Fair. He was very fair, yes. So look, what is it about this place, Interlagos, and your Formula One career? You did 15 races here and didn't finish 11 of them. Yes. <laughs> For a place that you've known all your life, that's a frustrating statistic. Yes, it is. And I think that um, so many times, uh, because the second time I was here in 94, I finished fourth. I mean, it was, uh, you know, Senna spun and I, you know, before uh, everything collapsed with, uh, with his death uh, in, in Imola and so on. It was the race before. Uh, no, the first race was here. The second race was Aida. I finished fourth year, third in Aida. I was actually second in the championship with seven points. I remember. <laughs> so how mad was that on the podium <laughs> at Aida in '94? <laughs> it was. It was my first podium. It was just uh, phenomenal. And I, the thing that the, the really strikes me is that Senna was there when I was on the podium, and he actually sent me a champagne to uh, to say that he had to leave the racetrack, but he was there, and he saw it. So. Formula One was always Formula One, and I, I had a love for it, and I have a passion for it. And uh, you just asked me. I mean, when I come to see, um, you know, the the cars running in Interlagos, what what is it? I mean, I just uh, so many times I feel sick not to be in the car. You know, I miss the bus and the adrenaline of of going fast on a fast car. Even now. Even now, yeah. At forty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> I, the other day, I just drove the the S five thousand in in Australia, which was a a car that um, was really nice because it had six hundred horsepower, and I I you know I drove um, 
the wings out of that car just to, you know, I, I, I honestly, I didn't know what to expect because at 47, for sure the speed is, is kind of a having a tendency of going away. But it did in my mind. It, I was there and I physically, I was so strong and I, they kept on looking at me and say, well, Jesus Christ, he's still so up to it. And I, I kept on going fast and I finished second uh, on that, uh, on that we weekend. And uh, they, they red flagged the race before because I thought I was going to win, to be honest with you. So I felt much at home with, uh, with the open wheel because I've been doing uh, closed wheel for seven years. Now you mentioned Senna. And, and, you know, the champagne being sent to you in Aida. And, yeah. um, can we talk a little bit more about him? Describe what Ayrton meant to you, Rubens. Well, I mean, at first, what, uh, what was it? It was a Senna. He was a kind of a different guy when he drove. I couldn't see him driving the likes of Formula Fords and uh, I didn't see him driving the Formula 3. I just had the news. I had, you read it and uh, there was some kind of a showing. And then they show in Brazil when, whenever he went on, on Williams, he drove the Williams in Donington. He could see something different. And uh, it, uh, it really caught my attention. I was only 11 whenever he was driving for Tolman uh, in that year. So there was something different about it. And Whenever uh, my father said, okay, we can go to the world championship in, in, in 80, uh, the end of 86, he said, I'm, I'm going to search for money for us to go to the world championship. Should we call Senna for a, you know, a little chat and see what he thinks, which team? I said, well, but do you know him? He said, no, but we, we can find, we can, uh, I said, dad, this is a dream coming true. If you do that, that's amazing. And um, he called the DAP team, the DAP team. Uh, back them and spoke to them and we raced for for them and uh so who called your dad called them or senna my, my dad called senna which then called dap to to make the introduction saying there's a fast uh, brazilian going there and on that championship the the, the car team wasn't the dap car team was already going down it wasn't it wasn't like the the same same as uh senna times but if i tell you two guys who were on my team who did not qualify to the to the final and i did was uh Badwer and fisichella they were my teammates and they they didn't make to the final so so yeah it was a it was an impressive thing and uh and it was senna that called so for me it was just a why do you think he made that call? I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think he liked the humble side. The, he liked the, the humble side of the Barrichello family. And that's how I think he, he made a little search. And every time I met him, he would stop in, in, anything he was doing to actually t uh, say hi to me. So uh, it was, he was just a, he wasn't that kind of a guy who I would have the phone number and call him all the time. But he would have, he, he would call me. So, and, uh, and then we have that famous uh, dinner before the Adelaide Grand Prix where um, I was on one car, Christian was on another car and Senna was on a car. And I, I went to, because they, they told me so many stories about him and Berger that I said, I got to do something with this car. And I went to hit him from behind on the rental car and he, so you hit Ayrton Senna? I hit Senna with my... This is in 1993. 1993. Your, your first season My first season. So we are going to the same place to have dinner. And I hit him. 
and uh, he did nothing. So Christian tried uh, the same. He went and just gave him a nudge, nothing. So the, f the only thing he said when we got there was that we should park the cars before him. I didn't understand, but I, Christian parked, I parked, and he parked. The cars were like 15 degrees. Okay. So we went, have dinner. Uh, he says, okay, so time to go to bed, blah, blah, blah. So he leaves like five minutes before he paid the bill, by the way. And whenever we got out of the, the, the restaurant, he's already reversing into our car, but it was such a smash. Just boom! My car went into Christian's car. He put first and he he went off. It was just a, so they said, don't don't play with Ayrton, he's dangerous. And uh, I tell you, I remember still the noise of that uh, aluminum and whatever it was on the cars, because I had to go in from the side of, of the, the passenger side and get into the wheel. And when I reverse, I could hear the noise. <laughs> it was just uh, something else. Did you raise the subject with him the next day? <laughs> he never talked about it. You never he, talked he, about this he ever? He didn't want pretended to talk it about didn't it. Happen. He pretended it never happened. So it was just a, a, funny, a, funny, a funny day that uh, people said, okay, uh, it's a, don't play with him because he's a bit of a, of a <laughs> he's a play, a play guy. So it, it was funny. And Rubens, definitely Senna, not PK for you. Did Nelson PK ever offer um, advice? Was no, he, no, no, he never did. Um, Were there sort of two camps? It was two, either, you're two either a Senna camps. person or a PK. Yeah, in Brazil, there was always, I mean, there's a very, very few that you would ask uh, if they like both. I mean, people do like both because whenever they finish first and second, yes. But if you were a Senna guy, you, you were never a PK guy for and, some reason. And did Ayrton give you any advice when you came in in 93 about, I don't know, driving or the yeah. politics of Formula One? No, he just uh, offered uh, some advice and uh, it was... Uh, He's, he's been, he went to see, you know, you remember, I heard some walking on the paddock. It was just crazy. Like, uh, it was like a bunch of 20, 30 people behind him. So he came in into my pits of a Jordan pits in Kailami to, to, to offer me. First race. Yeah. First, first race help and so on. And it's, it was, I couldn't, you know, believe my eyes that what I. What did he say? He just said, uh, welcome. This is, uh. This is really good that you are here, and uh, you know if you need anything, I'll be here. There was some some very, you know, tiny words with a lot of impact. So when you reflect on Imola '94 now, um, let's start by talking about your accident on the Friday. What do you remember? Hmm. I remember very clearly that uh, although was a was a like a long, long track, uh, long straight line. And we didn't have the straight line with the Jordan Hart. I remember that we were fast. And um, I remember telling Gary, I said, Gary, I think I can take the Variante Basso with uh, fifth gear. He said, oh, you, if, you, if you do go in fifth gear, you might, uh, might just have the, the edge on, on, on those who, who were fighting. And I remember going in to qualify with that in mind. And up to that point, I was eight, eight tenths of a second faster. And uh, I just took him fifth. I remember that. And then after that, it was, uh, it was a crash that I, 
the only other thing I remember is the oops. So oops, something is going to go wrong. That was your last thought? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> and they were their high curbs there, weren't they? Which they were of- high curbs, which uh, teach, uh, I think, a lot of things been, uh, been not teached, but it was, uh, there was some stuff that uh, they learned from me. So the high curbs, the, they were still used somehow, sometimes, but they were not there. Uh, anymore in Imola and uh, eventually from track to track they just uh, took it off so after the accident when what is your first memory after the accident that is I think is a photograph memory because I don't remember actually seeing myself I don't remember the cemetery I don't remember uh, carrying Ayrton's uh, your accident oh on my accident I don't I don't have a, a recall from that I don't I think, you know, it's like um, if the tape goes back to the oops, and, and then I don't know if, because I see a lot of pictures and uh, a lot of people talk in videos, if the, uh, if the actual tape is going forward and the memory is open up, or if it's just because I've seen things. So I don't have a lot of memory. I don't remember that day at all when I saw Ayrton. I have pictures of me seeing, seeing Ayrton on the track, but I don't remember that. You don't remember him coming to the hospital no, to see you? Or? not a chance. How Which were you chance? physically after that? Um, I broke my nose, so I couldn't breathe really well. Um, I had a, a fractured arm as well. But I, I was okay, because um, I think that was the next day I was on the racetrack already. But, uh, so... I so there were no worries that it was going to affect you long term or? No, we made all the exams and there was nothing. I mean, when I had the stroke uh, a year ago, we actually went through the doctors and told, told him that that happened back in 93, if they had any effect or anything that happened. No, there was not, nothing to do with the, with, uh, with the accident itself. But that accident was the biggest crash of your career? Oh, yes. Far I swallow my tongue, man. I, when I, on my speech, when I tell the, the kids that, you can see it, all of them trying to... They, they really <laughs> do something with their mouth trying to, to emulate that. But uh, I, it, was, it was a horrible accident, yes. So you come back to the track on the Saturday. And, of course, Roland Ratzenberger loses his life on the Saturday. And then obviously Ayrton's crash in the race on Sunday. Can you describe the emotional turmoil, if that's the right word, that yeah. you went through as the events unfolded? I think um, in, I've been very lucky in my whole life, uh, Tom. And I, I believe the fact that I don't remember uh, Roland's crash and I don't remember the feeling of the emotions on the racetrack that day, I think that's a, that's a good thing in a way. See, I don't I don't recall that day. I don't. So in a way, I think this is this is good. So I I just uh, I I and I don't pretend to uh, in a way. I, I don't make an effort. I mean, I remember Senna smiling. I remember him talking to me. I remember that uh, day when we we had fun on on that dinner. Um, but, uh, you know, I talked to Gerhard uh, the other day and he, for some reason, uh, he, he talks to me like if he remembers Ayrton smiling as well. So we, we kept the good memories. And you 
So you don't remember Roland's accident and you don't remember? Senna's I remember because there is a camera filming myself already back in England. I was on the, on that Sunday. I remember that I, uh, I was there and there is a camera that is filming uh, the whole the whole race and and unluckily we just uh, had the the Senna's accident. So sorry. So you were in England. You weren't at Imola. No, on, on, sa- on Saturday I left because that cra- my crash was on Friday. On at that time there was a Friday qualifying. So you were back in Cambridge, I think it was in yes, the UK. Yes, it was in Cambridge. Yes. So um, and then I I have I had the feeling that everybody in the whole world had it. It's uh, when Senna move his head uh, we thought he was alive that it was all okay so uh, just stand up and, and leave that that was the feeling and you were sharing that house in Cambridge with other Brazilian drivers weren't you yeah were you all together and uh, yeah, we, we, we were all together I think one of them was racing like Formula 3 in some, some, uh, somewhere in, in England but yes uh, it was uh, Roberto Xavier Walter Salles and Rosette the four of us. So news comes through it. I think it was about 6 p.m. Italian time that yeah. Senna was dead. Did you? It was it was crazy searching for for a, a ticket to get back to Brazil. Then it was madness with a whole BA uh, Tam trying to get to Brazil. And I remember getting the, the next day to Brazil. That was your first focus. I want to get back yes. for the funeral. Yes. What are your memories of that? Yeah, funeral? Then, then we're I, just up the road from where we're sitting now. Yeah, I, I've, I don't remember a lot, but I, like I said, I, again, I don't know if if it's a confusion that I've seen a lot of pictures, a lot of filming, or if I do actually remember the the thing. But I, um, and there is a lot of pictures that I remember them saying. Uh, the second row is going to be you and Christian because it's the next generation. The first row, I think, was Berger and Prost that carried him. So uh, I was there, ready to ready to take him. Were you surprised by the scale um, of the whole event and people lining the streets? Or, he or was, did you expect he that? He was very Brazilian. And uh, unfortunately, I don't know if this is a Brazilian thing or if this is a... Uh, this is a word thing. Unfortunately, we wait for someone to actually die or get sick to tell them that we love, that we, we care. And uh, it's, it's something that I, I feel so sorry that, uh, that that's the way I tell my kids all the time that they should do whatever they want to do now. Don't wait until tomorrow. We don't know tomorrow. So... Uh, so I think a lot of people do that, and and in a way, there was no time to say goodbye to Senna. So it was it was something that we we, you know, the, it was terrible for sure. Uh, it was incredible the amount of people on the on the on the road on the streets. Have you ever stopped to think what he might have gone on to do after a Formula One? I mean. I don't know. I think I think he was like me. He loved the racing, but he didn't didn't like the. The, uh, you think Senna would be racing stock cars now? Uh, I don't know if he would, uh, <laughs> would, uh, would still be racing, but I, I don't see him working with F1 as a team manager, for example. That for sure I don't. 
And, uh, Do you think politics was he? No, because of the he didn't like the politics sides. He, he he just liked to drive, just like I did. So I survived because I loved it too much. The 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 the, the you know the driving side. So Rubens, what about the impact of Ayrton's death on you and your career? Because suddenly the focus of Brazil was on the man I'm looking at now, and how did that affect you? Well, that that made me. Um, that was tough to begin with. Really tough, actually, because '95, when we had the Peugeot engine and um, we had more power, and uh, all of a sudden people saying, "Okay, Rubens is here; he's going to win." So we have all sorted, and uh, so it was it was really tough when I first drove the car, and it was actually not better than the '94 car. So it was the, the using the left foot braking and uh, I was resting on the brake pedal and we didn't get to know that for six races and I, I had a deficit of, of speed on the straight line and, you know, we only got to know later. But I tell you, the whole difficulty made me so much stronger. You know, it made me prepare for the next phase and made me made me keep on smiling and I still nowadays I think the whole difficulty of our lives make us really a lot stronger and uh, and if you can deal with you can just keep on going and did Senna's accident uh, uh, make you reassess safety and the potential consequences of what you'd chosen to do with your life? Um, I was actually afraid to be afraid because I had I had the, the accident and I one week after all this I was already in the car in Silverstone and uh, I remember my thought was okay push like a crazy animal because if if you if you're gonna go over to, to overcome all the problems you really need to crash now again you need to be prepared to crash now again. And I, I remember I set my fastest uh, lap time in, in Silverstone for the Jordan, and I was ready. I knew that uh, that was I, uh, what I liked. And at age 21, you don't care much of, about the safety in, in a way. I've always been a, an okay guy for, for this type of thing. But um, it, was, it was just different uh, at the time. I just wanted to be racing. There's a few other people and moments in your career I'd love to talk to you about. One is Donington 93. Senna got all the accolades after the race, overtaking everybody on the opening lap, winning in the wet, of course. But some people listening to this might not be aware that you were up to second at one point. Yes. And um, then what was it? Fuel pressure? I can't remember what it was. That That's what they said at the time, but it was uh, oh lack of fuel. Lack of fuel. <laughs> yeah, so ran out of fuel. Yeah, fuel ran, pressure then. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we didn't have... Uh, a few pressure because actually we run out of fuel. So, <laughs> but Rubens, that race was a stunning one by you. Was that the moment, given that it was early in your Formula One career? Was that the moment you felt you arrived? It was because uh, the first two races I didn't have a pit stop, and I was mad that I didn't have a pit stop. There was so much practice, and I my car would break down before the pit stop, and. I, I remember in the middle of the Donington race, I was actually laughing because I, I had done like four already and, uh, and I knew there was more coming on. I think I'd done six or seven and I was, it was plenty of practice uh, on, those, uh, on those days. Um, 
the funny the funniest thing that happened now that we can say in Donington was that I saw P2. said, Jesus Christ, I'm going so well. Now everyone sees me. Then I look in my mirror. There's Senna behind me. I said, I'm P1. I'm P1. Jesus Christ. And I'm closing. I'm, I'm going to close the door on this because, you know, although I, he's my hero, I need to win this race. And all of a sudden when I, when I checked, he was lapping me. And I was P2, but he was lapping me. And... Uh, it was funny when we, we talked later uh, because I really thought, I, you know, if, if you're doing so well, you might, be do, you might be winning, but I wasn't. So it was, I got out of my way. Did he raise a hand as he went past? He did. He did, did he? Yeah, but I don't, know if, I don't know if it was like uh, get out of my, uh, my way or if it was just uh, we talk later. But what was the overriding emotion after that race? Frustration because you ran out of fuel or elation because you've been running P2 and... Ah, it was People a bit of both. It was a bit of both. It was it was hard not to be, because I I thought this Formula One is easy. I I I I can get to the podium on my third race, and then after that, it took me forever to actually score my first points in Suzuka at the end of the year. So it was a it was a hard core as well, and uh, and and it was difficult to not to have done the podium in a way. Now, Rubens, at the end of your Jordan career, you go to Stuart. And so the next person I'd love to talk to you about is Jackie Stewart. How big a risk was it for you to go to a brand new team? Um, well, it was... Um, what else? What other options were there on the table? There were, at the time, we were talking to Tyrrell, we were talking to Sauber, and I was talking to, uh, to Stuart. Uh, when I saw the facilities and what they were planning and uh, the backing from Ford and the likes of uh, actually going for Bridgestone, which was uh, different. Uh, at that time, if you want to come back strongly, you, you want to be different somehow. And that was, that was a, definitely a good choice for me because that's, that's the, although my car broke down a lot the first year, the second year and so on, I knew Jackie was, was putting a lot of effort to, to make it happen. And how much of a sell? I mean, Jackie's a great salesman. Yeah. How much, for, how much of a sell did it require to get you there? Um, honestly, um, they were ready. They were ready. And uh, he, I think Jackie, I don't know if he can assume that, but he, we, we, we fell in love for each other quite soon. It was... Uh, uh, he, he told me once that he, he, I said, why didn't you never take me to Oldham Park to check my driving? He said, because you are exactly what I want a driver to be on the car. You are polite to the steering wheel, you look after the tires, you're good on the throttle. So it was, it was, it was love, man. It was, uh, for me, it was just a magic to be driving for him. Um, he, I teach, uh, I learned so much from his teaching. Um, you so know. was the relationship paternal? Was he like oh, your, it was. It was. your racing dad? Yeah, he was, a, he was a phenomenal because I was coming from someone that he was really good as well, which was Eddie Jordan, but he didn't know how to behave. So it was completely the different one from, uh, <laughs> from, from Jackie. Although uh, with Eddie, we had a, such a great relationship. It was hard that I, I, I turned down so many other offers to keep on Jordan, Ed Jordan, because he... 
he was the one that gave me my first chance. And, and all of a sudden, he came to me and said, uh, uh, we're not signing you again for next year. So uh, if I, felt, I felt a bit sick and sorry for that. And, uh, and then suddenly the, the steward come, came on board and I, 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 I really enjoy My time there was, was great. From, I learned a lot from Jackie uh, on the way you talk to engineers on the way, even on the way to Dresd. He was super on, on teaching you everything. And of course, Monaco 97. Monaco 97 was, uh, was just amazing. It was Insane. Just, uh, I remember Jackie uh, and Paul Stewart crying, crying on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was crying. And uh, you know that that day, one more lap, we, would have, we wouldn't have finished the race. So it's just amazing. Why, Why would you know, We had a, um, uh, like a few, few pressure have having those issues that for for real this time we were we were struggling and uh, but we did finish the race yes so how gutting was it that when the team wins its only grand prix nurburgring 99 oh, it's johnny herbert know, your teammate I, at and the end of the day i was i was seriously um uh, you know i was in a, in in such a such a good humor after the race because although I didn't, uh, the team had done it. And I knew I didn't do it because of one choice wrong. I had, I've been saying uh, more rain please, more rain, more rain in, my, in my, my whole race there. And I was asking for something that actually came my way and I kept the slicks. So for two laps, I was so slow on those slicks that I, I lost the race because of that. And you know, again, it's fundamental that uh, whenever you, you ask for something, you are ready to grab it. And I wasn't. So that day, I was lucky just to finish third. Mm. And then, of course, Ferrari come knocking. Did you consult Jackie? I did. And uh, did he, he said that he, he was uh, putting uh, the team even better. And he wanted me to stay. He was ready to offer me the money that uh, Ferrari was was going to pay me, but uh, I told him I had to I had to do something different. I had to I had to take the offer from Ferrari. I had to go. But he said, "Are you going to be number two there?" I said, "It's not written on my contract." And then and then he said, "Okay, so off you go. I wish you luck." Did he tell you that he was selling to Jaguar at the time? Did you know? Yes. You knew all that. Yes. Yes. And it was still the, the lure ah, of Ferrari. Why did the, you have to go to Ferrari? Um, it wasn't that I had to, but it was the... the I, I wanted to test myself against the, 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 the top one, which was Schumacher. And I, I was, you know... Uh, I just... Uh, it's tough to say no to Ferrari, isn't it? I, and I did eventually say no because I had seven years on my contract and I only run six, so I asked permission to leave. So the lure of challenging yourself against Michael Schumacher, um, how supportive was he to you? Michael? Yeah. You're looking at me as if that's the most stupid question you've ever been asked. But, you know, your teammates, some teammates work together. I'm assuming you and Johnny Herbert, for example, work together at Stewart. Yeah. Were you, was there a Chinese wall down the middle of the Ferrari pit garage and you just no. never... No, no, I, I, I've always made friends and I've always had a, a great relationship to my teammates. 
But um, do you include Michael when he said? I, I do, but uh, he was never supportive. It's not the right word. It's not like he um, would never been uh, there to offer help. Uh, so I never asked because there is there are teammates that you go and ask, and uh, you can see that he's, for example, Eddie Irvine. You ask him. He said, I don't know which gear I take at the corner. Then I, I got pissed one day because I said, how the hell the guy doesn't know what gear? And he doesn't really know. It's just, uh, he doesn't think. He just do it naturally. So you, you have to learn people. But with Michael, it was different. He was, uh, he was a bit naive in a way that he, he worked uh, his way. So many times I, I grabbed my chair because the, 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 the meeting was already finished. And then they started another meeting with just Michael there. And I said, hmm, this is, this is funny. I took my chair and just uh, would sit there, say nothing and just stay there. So uh, I had to... Did you feel from the start then that you were actually walking into Michael Schumacher's team? It wasn't um, really Ferrari, it was eventually, Michael Sch Eventually I felt that. Eventually, uh, eventually he... Um, I felt that the team was his. And um, how long did it take for that realization to drop? Uh, but it never dropped my emotion of actually seeing that I had to overcome all the problems to become better and better and to race against the best. It wasn't that, uh, uh, oh, okay, this engine was for him and uh, this engine is for Rubens. I think they've done such a good job on the, on the year 2000 already that uh, engines were pure. Uh, they had the same amount of power. Okay, one special would uh, would have a, a choice to, actually, to to go to Michael. But I I think that uh, at the end of the day, it was was not a problem for me to race the same car as him. You know better than anybody because you've seen all the telemetry. What made Schumacher special? So if I ask you that question, what well, is he was it? super super on high speeds, super like uh, very very gorgeous. Um, he was uh, the way I drove on the low speed was actually more it was I was taking more speed out of it than him so he I mean I remember so many times Ross telling him that he had to to, to do something different uh, I became so much better on the high speed because of him too so I think we both went to another still another level of pushing each other so it was uh, it was good. So if that's I mean, it's, his... not, it's not that easy to make Michael Schumacher go to another level, if you see what I mean. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that is fair, Barrichello. <laughs> but I mean, if that's his greatest strength, what is yours? What was yours? Um, mine had to be mental. Mine had to be how, uh, how you go to a racetrack knowing that you have a B option of a pit stops or, or this and that and still be ready to win uh, just because you think that your cycle is going to come and I and I think I kept him and whenever people said oh he accept uh, all the rules and that was the rules and that's it I kept on going there was a time Michael wasn't uh, had not access to the tires because Ross would only make me doing the do the the tire uh, all choice and tests so for sure I had uh, I had my place getting bigger and bigger inside Ferrari. So it's so interesting you say that because Jensen Button told us on this podcast a few weeks back that 
you were technically the strongest teammate he ever had in Formula One. And I, I tell you, that was a development from, from a kid because imagine my dad, I would stop in the, in the garage with him looking at me and I had a carburetor problem. Yeah, so many times he didn't know what the, what the heck I was talking and he would send me out again. He put the hand on, on something and I said, oh, it's fixed. Okay, you go. So I'll come back the next lap and I'll, I said, no, no, the problem's still there. So I had the, the finesse of having a, uh, a human feeling on, on something. And I, I kept on provoking that to be better and better. And uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm in love with that. And uh, there was a time at Ferrari, for example, that uh, after 600 laps in Mugello, I came back and I said, look, the engine has a, a, a noise. For me, it's metal. For me, it's, it's going to break. And I, one engineer looked at me and said, uh, you look tired. So maybe, maybe that's, that's the reason why you want to stop. I said, look, I can go back again. And if it breaks, you're not going to know what is going to make this engine uh, good or not because it's going to break in pieces. If it is true, uh, we, we lost the day. If, it's, if, if I'm, if I'm uh, true here uh, and I, I do feel that I have a problem with the engine, you give me the piece that is going to break. He said, okay. So he looked, looked, looked. He couldn't find and said, okay, so let's, uh, let's finish the day and that's it. And the piston is still at home at, at my place because <laughs> it has this little nudge of uh, that's amazing uh, metal consumption, and it was about to about to go. So it's it's funny, funny that I still have that. What were you hearing? Metal, just just on the the end of the eighteen thousand changing gear, it was just that metal. Uh, as metal soon as you on change, metal. Yeah, just that that little. It's almost like for someone that doesn't know, uh, a very thin thing like the dentist. Oh, just God, don't uh, start talking about the dentist, yeah, please. Like, just, <laughs> just that. Just that a little. Okay. <laughs> and Rubens, what was it like to ride that wave of success with Ferrari? Um, you know, to win uh, you look? all the titles and, and to know that, uh, quite honestly, I don't think that I... Uh, if 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 you put myself against Michael, I think that it was a 70-30, Let's say, let's put it this way: he was better than 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 me uh, because he was more complete. And and Michael didn't have bad days. Whenever he had a bad day, whenever he was vulnerable, the team around him prepared him to be back up. So they they knew how to affect him positively. And I, but if if he was run straight like uh, no rules no you know just just the uh, same strategy for for everyone at least one championship i might have won it doesn't make a difference now because you know if, if i go out and tell brazil say look uh, i would have won a championship it doesn't matter because it's part of the past i didn't and i'm happy with because i tra tried i think the efforts in life is all about trying your max the whole time the uh, people said, why you didn't go to, to see the Interlagos practice on Friday? Because I spent the time in the, fac in the stock car factory because we need to make it better if we were 
trying to win the championship. There is still two races to go. So it's part of me, it's my, my, my passion to, you know, with my feeling, if someone believes on my feeling, just to keep on going. And I think I gave it all to Ferrari in, that, in those days. What was the high point with Ferrari? What was your happiest moment? Um, honestly, I think it was my tire choice in 2003 when I won Silverstone. Because they said, you're crazy. You're never going to make it work. I said, oh, I like that, that tire. And Michael never went to that tire. And I was superior, so much superior. When I put on pole, uh, I could run the it's outside, quite, the inside. This is quite fascinating that I ask you for your high point of Ferrari and you actually pick a tire choice. You know, it could have been the euphoria of walking down the street in Maranello and everyone wanting your autograph. I don't know, but you just pick a tire choice. It's I took a, a tire choice because that, that great feeling of driving the, that car in Silverstone, which was just a... Uh, I was euphoric uh, driving driving that car. It was the, I was so much superior than any other on that track that day that I think it was the high. Of course, I mean, on the radio, whenever Ross came on the radio in Hockenheim 2000 and he tells me, everyone is stopping Rubens. You are the only one not stopping. I said, well, Ross, they, they, they gotta be wrong because the track is dry. And he said, it's impossible. You gotta pit. I said, no, I'm not pitting. So, so that day, I think I got a lot of respect from, from the whole team as well. Rubens, that, of course, being your first win, Hockenheim 2000, because yeah. there were two races I wanted to ask you about. That is one of them. So much emotion after the race. Um, it's like however many years of waiting. And what did you think of on the podium? Can you remember? Oh, when I, I, uh, what, I, what made me cry on the podium, because I had cried already so much on the car and hugging all the team and so on. But what really made me cry on the podium was I remember I heard my uh, my daddy, my dad voice saying, uh, "We're not going to the to the Brazilian Championship go karts because we don't have money." I remember that, and then he like sold his uh, Fiat 147 to for me to 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 go to the world champ to the Brazilian Championship. And I won that championship, and uh, I think that that's the the thing that really kept me ongoing. I, I, I mean, you cannot imagine. He, yeah, the for me, that's why it was so easy for me to actually sacrifice. Okay, I wasn't happy at Ferrari so many times, but I sacrificed all the time because my father did it for me, and it was easy for me to see that I had to go. And I tell you, I've been so lucky in my whole career with the fact that I was ready to sacrifice, but God kept an eye on me. You know, if you believe that it was back in 88, when I finished done go-karting, my father only had a little amount of money to buy me a Formula Ford. And he bought a Formula Ford that had two crashes already. And it was a car that, one of those cars that go sideways uh, on, the, on the straight. But uh, we were happy because that's the only car that I had. That year, 88, uh, Ford came to us and said, look, we need a car for the show, for the last race of the championship. So we're going to paint uh, the car and we pay you the rental. So for next year, we give you a paint. You choose a paint. And for someone that had no money, we were like jumping on the sofa just to say, okay, we got a paint. We can paint it the way we like it. That car fell off the truck and it was like done. It was over. They gave me a brand new uh, Formula Ford car 
for the championship and I won the, my first race on that car. How amazing yeah. is that story? And that's why so many times I keep yeah. on telling yeah. the Brazilian press, yeah. you know, you guys want to talk to me about Austria again because of this and that. I mean, if you want to be serious about Austria, I can tell you everything. But I mean, my story is so much nicer than this. So why don't we focus on the positives instead of actually, oh, Rubens backed off for Michael in, in Austria, you see? So that's why I talk little about Formula One in Brazil because it just uh, people just uh, lose the focus. Yeah? Someone that had no money, uh, had no not a chance. I mean, if you if they ever came to tell me when I was a kid, oh, you're gonna have a chance to drive Formula One, even if it was for a year, you know, I would have done. And the other day I was with Montoya, and Montoya said, "How long did you drive in Formula One?" I said, "19 years." He started laughing because I said, "Why? Why are you laughing?" He said, "I only drove six, and I thought it was forever." And I, I said, "Only six, Montoya." You're just a crap driver. Six <laughs> years. So we had so much fun. We had so much fun because 19. I thought Montoya would have driven for a lot no, more. He didn't. But, uh, and he, remember, he walked away mid 2006. Yeah. Which to go was, and do NASCAR with Chip Ganassi. But yeah, exactly. I think, I think, I don't know. I'm putting words into his mouth now, but I reckon there must be a bit of him that regrets that <laughs> now. Rubens, what an incredible story of sacrifice and. And, I'm not, and the other, the other race I was going to talk to you about was Austria. Austria. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, in a way, there is a lot of story about Austria. Austria is talkable, you see, but not. It was created in a in a way in Brazil. It was memes about, uh, but why a uh, Brazilian driver backed off and uh, and and came away from the throttle. Uh, and I would never done that. People say I would never done that. So how come you say I would never done that if you didn't hear what I hear? And what? Uh, uh, I, I, that's what I say to the whole Brazilians. I say, look, I can't say a hundred percent, but ninety-nine percent of the whole population would have done exactly the same as me on that situation because it was just a. You know, I had just signed a contract for another two years. I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know what to to say. So it was it was hard. It was really hard to uh, to you know not to have done it. And for sure, again, the same way as those curbs, the high curbs that I teach people that they shouldn't exist. That day in in uh, Austria, I I was telling the whole world what it was going through with me for a long time. And they made better rules, better, uh, you know, the radio was open for public. And uh, so I've always said they had to use me to something, but they, <laughs> we made it better. Listen, how much, we're talking about Austria 2002, for those who aren't aware, when Rubens had to move over and let Michael Schumacher win the race. How much discussion was there over the radio before you actually did the deed and moved over? Eight laps. Eight laps worth of yes. of, of what, what what was being uh, said. You can ask him. He's sitting. So Ross so Braun is just behind us. I think <laughs> so on, a, on another interview. <laughs> so it's eight eight laps worth uh, conversations. And uh, um, how did they explain it to you over eight laps? They, they were trying to be minimal on 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 words, and I kept on saying that. I'm, uh, my point there was that in two thousand and one. 
I had to do the same in Austria. Because Austria, Austria, Silverstone, Interlagos, those tracks I was superior than Michael. It was almost like mental. I would go to a place I knew that I, I would uh, qualify in front of him and race better. So 2001, I was, it was DC. You know, both, both of them are sitting on the same room as us. So DC, DC was, uh, he, uh, he was winning the race. He won actually the race in uh, Austria. Uh, I think it, and he did anyway, 2001. And I was second and Michael third. And they asked me for, uh, for uh, you know, to, to, to change uh, positions. And I, after the race, quite interestingly, I, I went to talk to them and I said, what would have happened if I was leading the race? I said, if you were leading the race, we would never ask you that. And that's, that was my point one year after on those eight laps. You guys told me that in my face. I said, oh, Rubens, we can talk later. I said, no, no, we got to talk now. It's, the race is finishing. So, did your relationship with the team ever recover? Um, it did because I wanted to, uh, and they they have to they had to re- to recover up to me. They had to give me back so many things that I was going after. There was no question. I never questioned that I had the same ability as as Michael. I'm not saying that. Maybe it's not 17:30. Maybe it was 60:40. Maybe it was 55:45. Or maybe 80:20. It doesn't matter. I was mentally more prepared for more winning than whatever was offered uh, to me. So whenever someone uh, achieves that thought, he says, okay, uh, yes, okay, that is the boy that won five titles in, in go-kart. He won Formula Opoloros. He won Formula 3. He's not, whenever he thinks, oh, that guy was the one that backed off the, the pedal, that is the wrong uh, mental attitude, because that's what I say. I think 99% would have done the same. I think Michael was embarrassed. I certainly, on the podium, he certainly sure. looked embarrassed. But what about you guys away from the racetrack? The rivalry was intense on it. He never talked to me about that. He never talked to me about that. He never talked to me about the U.S., because the U.S., you remember when it was kind of uh, him giving back the... Uh, whenever I was, I was stronger than him that day in Indianapolis. But uh, on the pit stops, he came, he came in front of me. And I was running right behind him. And uh, we came out of the, the, um, the turn one Indianapolis corner. And I, he backed off. And I swerved to the right because... Uh, I almost crashed into him and uh, I backed off too. I said, well, what is that? And all of a sudden he backed off even more and my car started to go. But maybe he thought, okay, he doesn't want because he's backing off. So I go and I think, okay, he's kind of a giving, giving it to me. Uh, I got to take it. A win is a win. That's why the, the finish is so close because I think it was a question marks all the way through. There wasn't a, I didn't want it at first, but then I said, okay, I'll take it. So it was, it was that. Amazing. I have 11 wins and 12 trophies, uh, cups, because that Indianapolis one, I never gave him back. So, <laughs> so you, got a, you got too many, so I'll stay with that. <laughs> Look, but what about your relationship away from the track? Did you ever hang out? Did you? Yeah. We, um, uh, with a glass of red wine in, in our hands, we were... I mean, there was a time in, uh, in, in, in uh, have you been to Madonna di Campiglio? I haven't, but I mean, there was, a, there was the, 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 the skiing event the, before every exactly, season. Yeah. Yeah. 
There was a day during the uh, night event and uh, journalists had gone already. It was like 2 a.m., I don't know. We had a piano bar and a friend of mine, you, you got to know some of my friends. And uh, Jonathan was actually on the piano bar singing on the hotel. And the hotel, I remember the hotel telling us that, you know, shut off because uh, it's too noisy. But that's Michael, that's Rubens. We kept on going and I went to to walk on the on the hotel and there was this uh, uh, thing for for uh, as a bride when you get mar married yeah so and then as I told Michael if you dress the bride I dress in in, in the suit and we we go and and walk uh, uh, husband and wife and he said okay he did dry he, did he, did, he dressed you <laughs> know in white it was superb with uh, his dead odd face with a uh, why are there no so photographs much, of this? oh i don't know man i think that uh, it was uh, it was That's a, great. Uh, they they didn't That's allow great. pictures there so i don't know if uh, it was so funny it was yeah. so funny so the guy he, know, he, he had a good uh, humor side yeah he really had and uh Every time he was drunk, uh, in a way, it wasn't like many times that we got drunk. Uh, but uh, it, like uh, there was a time in the karaoke in, uh, in Japan. He came the to me. Cabinet, yeah, yeah. He came to me and he mm, hugged me and said, "Rubens Barrichello, you're getting every year. You faster, faster, faster. You have to stop that." So it was funny. I remember those things with uh, with a good care. And then when you were no longer teammates, did the relationship get better or change? Or? Um, it was, I think he went back racing because, because he saw the success in 2009, honestly. He came, he couldn't believe that I was still winning and uh, he, he might have thought if I'm there, I'll, I'll be winning too. And that's, that's for me what forced his thoughts of going back into Formula One and with the car that I was driving. You know, um, well, I did so wanted to ask you about Braun. How desperate did things get in the winter of 2008, 2009? Say that again. Just how, how desperate was the situation in terms of... Oh, it was totally desperation because I didn't have a job for four months. I kept phoning Ross and he's, he would say the, exactly the same words. Rubens, I can't say much now. There's a lot going on. You are a high priority on my list, but I cannot tell you uh, what's going on right now. I said, can I, can I give a call to people? Can I help? Can I? I said, no, you just uh, stay there and believe. And that's what I did. I mean, my friends, even my, my ex-wife, she thought, uh, you're crazy. You know, she, she saw me suffering so much and she knew I wanted to live in Florida. She said, oh, let's go to Florida. Let's live a year there and let's forget about it. I said, no, I'm going to be racing. It's going to happen. How and could you be so I convinced? I don't know. It was something from, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was on the stomach. It was, uh, it, it was something so real that, uh, because Senna, Bruno Senna had driven the car before there was uh, other people it was um, so it was hard for, for people to believe that uh, that uh, that I was going to drive the car but finally finally it was a Friday he calls me in what me. month are we talking uh, January are we talking no we're talking already it was a Feb February 2009 yeah it was a Friday and where uh, were you I was in in our house on the countryside in Brazil. In Brazil. And uh, I see um, uh, it's ringing from 
from uh, it was Ross, and I I said, okay, I'm I'm going outside to talk, and uh, <laughs> the next moment I come back crying. I said, I told you, I told you. <laughs> what, but what did he Ross say? Can you he said, what he, said? Uh, he said, when can you be here? I said, ah, I can be there. <laughs> In 12 hours, you tell me I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in Brazil, but I can't be there right, uh, right now. And, uh, and it was just phenomenal. It was the best feeling of my, and then it wasn't all for me the whole drive. I, it was four by four races because he didn't know if we didn't have success, he might have to employ someone to pay for it, for the drive. So I had uh, drives and uh, uh, things. It wasn't just that easy, but it made me, so so good and so certain so the first time ross we're, we're, we're talking, talking about, about you ross, so, we're talking yeah. about you actually so, <laughs> how are you the moment you phoned rubens in february 2009 to say that we're game on yeah it was one of the best decisions we made oh you see <laughs> i cried my eyes that day ross so it was the best day of my life <laughs> So, can you remember... It's so funny that he was sitting alongside <laughs> us for another interview. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, Actually, it's nice to see. It gave nice. you a nice hug. Yeah. Um, Rubens, can you remember the time you first drove that car? Was it in Barcelona? I think Jensen gave it a run out at Silverstone and then the team went to Barcelona and you drove it. Is that yes. right? Yes. I think um, it was, it was uh, Barcelona... And he was the, f the first one that drove the first day or the first half an hour or the, just the checkups. And I remember him the, putting two fingers out and just calling me. And I went to, to put my ear on, on his helmet and he said, we're going to have fun this year, mate. Is that what Jensen yeah. said? Yeah. So it was... And then you drive the car. And that, that time, as soon as we went out and put a first, uh, first lap time, it was... People running. I said, "What the what the hell is going on?" And then and they said, "Let's fill it up. Let's fill it up with you because the car was so fast. So let's not show people. Let's fill it up with you." And uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, people uh, we, we were calling the attention, and we were still very fast. But people thought we were underweight to actually call for sponsors because we never had the sponsor at that now, time. Look, but how good can you remember that? They, you've always told me in the past. You know, within a few corners, it was. The back end was superb of that car. They had the, the, the double diffuser, the triple diffuser, whatever you call. But it, uh, it had the back end of that car was, was just superior. I mean, we would go... It's not that the back end is superior and the, the front is not there. We would go every lap on a winter in the t turn three in Barcelona flat. Actually, we were knackered by the end, the end of the day, me and James, uh, because our neck wouldn't hold... The fact that we were used to cars that we would back off in the middle of turn three and that car was well, of course because the last formula one car you'd driven was the 2008 honda which exactly let's we be would, polite we, about it but it wasn't anything it wasn't special. anything special and we had to back off on that corner <laughs> let's put it this way <laughs> and so you win a couple of races i'll never forget the european grand prix you win in valencia and uh that look of Elation. I can't think of another word really yeah. on your face. Just it was just. Uh, I think that in life, uh, it's uh, there's so many things that uh, are pluses and minus, but the fact that you have gratitude is, if you feel gratitude from from uh, an, even a negative point, it's because you are able to receive the positives. I think this is, this is how 
you have to take on on life. You see, I, I don't. Uh, people might see you on the on the social media smiling all the way, but we know for you, for me, we have hard times, we have tough times, we have family, uh, good things, bad things, car, good things and bad things. If you work for it and you feel the gratitude, I think this is this is. Was two thousand and nine your best chance at winning the title? I think so. I had some. I think two thousand three. I that car was a bit more for my liking the Ferrari because I remember the first uh, time Michael did a uh, five laps on on Fiorano came back and said oh my neck doesn't feel good I can't drive and he went away for 20 days and I was the one developing the car and it came a bit more to me but uh, if you remember 2003 uh, I ran out of fuel in Brazil I should How have, painful was that? Oh, that was horrible because because you'd led here in '97 in the Stewart. Yes, but I mean, yeah, the but, race that but you were 2003 down to win. was a definitive. Yeah, so, yeah. and it was even harder when they turned the engine on. So I, I knew it was uh, it wasn't any problem. It was just a lack of fuel. And if you if you know that race, Michael would have stopped a lap before me. So with that, because we we had no uh, telemetry. Uh, Michael would have run out of fuel and they would know that I would run and they would call me. So he crashed before that. So I was the first one to run out of fuel because the calculations were wrong. So it was tough. But going back to the fact that 2003, I, I, I think I had a shot. I won Silverstone and Suzuka, which are the tough, the toughest ones. I would... Uh, uh, have finished on the podium in Hungary when the, my rear suspension gave up and I, I had a, a big crash. If you remember, I went straight. I crashed with Ralph on uh, Hockenheim start. So those kind of a situations, there's no ifs in our lives, isn't it? So we just have to keep on going. But though that year, I also had a shot for it. In, we're now talking about nine, two, oh, two three, nine. Oh, three. oh, three, you had yeah. a shot, yeah. And uh, in oh, nine, I think it was an year. I mean, although I love Jensen to death and we still like brothers uh, nowadays, he, I think in his head, he knew that uh, it was a championship that could have been made for me because I was longer there and, I, and all of a sudden he was winning all those races. And I said, how come? I mean, I beat him. In the end of the 2008 season, I'm ready to keep on going. And he was just, a, he, he, he deserved, I mean, not just because I love him, but because he's such a good driver as well. And it was an year for us too to come out of nothing and he did it better and, and won it. And I'm, I'm glad it was a friend that did and it wasn't someone else. But uh, it was just, uh, it was a year that uh, I ended up winning whenever the car was already uh, being followed really closely by the Red Bulls and the Ferraris. How, and when you won at Monza in 29, how did the Tifosi, ex how they, did they, they react? They, they thought I was dressed in red, okay. honestly. <laughs> they really, they were there, they, they, they just kept uh, doing the same thing. It was just amazing. Well, look, Rubens, you, I mean, you go on to Williams and we get to 326 races, the longest career in Formula One history. When were you at your peak? Um, I think that at the end of the day, you're always going to say that you are, um, because it's a nature, isn't it? I mean, the, you, 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 you're born, 
and then you grow and then you have your peak and then you start to get old and you know the eyes don't work anymore like they used to you lose your hair and you might lose your peak in that sentence you keep pointing at me all of those descriptions <laughs> his eyes are going <laughs> i don't know i mean my, my my eyes were gone a long time so did you just actually on that question my first pole position it was my the first ever race that i used contact lenses it spa 94 yes so prior to that you just thought your eyes were fine yeah no but then or, I, I raced the year before i raced the 24 hours of uh, interlagos on a on a on a Cosworth, on a Ford Cosworth. And I, I, I kept on trying to radio and the radio wasn't working anymore and I couldn't see, it was practice at night and I couldn't see, I said, Jesus Christ, there's something, something going on here. All of a sudden the car stopped. So the battery was running down, the lights were going down and I couldn't see. But then I went to check my eyes because of that. Because of that. And then I had a half a uh, 0.05 of... Uh, and did it make a difference? It did. Because Formula One, the vibration and the... The vibration and and the fact that you at uh, you know 350 kilometers an hour uh, you don't see very well already. So if you have a deficit, it gives you a headache. So I, I did end up with a headache sometimes. No, but did you ever worry that a contact lens would slip and you'd suddenly yeah. have to come in? Yeah, but I I I was born in in a world that it was already modern. <laughs> <laughs> so I never had a problem. Never ever. I did eventually had a problem in Monza once where with a little air coming into the visor uh, would uh, would make make it flip uh, in a way you had to blink but uh, no it wasn't okay so back to your peak it's hard i will never admit that my peak went went off is your peak still I, ahead of you is that I, fi <laughs> I finish i finish uh, with williams uh, beating maldonado which was much younger than me into one and i i think that my Peak had gone probably already, but I was I was doing what uh, once uh, Mr. Stewart, uh, Sir Sir Jackie Stewart, told me that uh, with time I would relax my hands more and more. So I was physically more prepared. So therefore, my mental status would would make me go fast. Right now, if you ask the guys at uh, a stock car, for example, they are they they say how you know how come. Uh, Rubens is going so fast and I think that my peak m have gone away but I keep doing go-karts which keep me sharp and this is pure love. Are you still karting now? Yeah, I just raced uh, you know, some weeks ago in Vegas and uh, against, kids against kids, yeah, aged 16 <laughs> uh, so and how'd they say, get, why don't you, you race Master? I said, I know, Master is for old people, I'm still young. <laughs> Does it help? The karting still helps keep you sharp. sharp oh, for sure. This uh, the shifter shifter karting is just amazing. They're quick, aren't they? So look, couple more. Best race. You may have already answered that in our conversation. Was that Silverstone two thousand and three? Yeah. Yes. Toughest rival, Michael, because he was tough on the racetrack. But my only chance with him was Aust was a uh, Hungary. 2010 when i was he was god can we talk about that that's that's when he a, almost put you in the pit wall yes yeah, so my that's as my whole formula one career my only chance was canada i don't know oh three or four i went to pass him and uh, i thought i had done 
but he break later and, and I never had a chance again. My only other chance I had was not being his teammate. And I kept on saying, now I'm going to show you because now nobody's actually telling me anything on the radio. And, now I'm, and then I saw him uh, when I came out of the pits. I, had, I was in front, but I had to pit but I had newer tires and I said, mm, it's easy. I'm, I'm, you know, for, for one point, I said, this is a victory. I got to go for it. And he didn't make a mistake. It was hard because he was so fast on the straight line. All of a sudden he made a mistake into the last corner. I said, no, this, I can't see that. I can't see that. And then I come out of that corner right behind him. And he, he, he made a choice of staying right in the middle of the track. And I said, hmm. What is he thinking? Because normally you would protect the inside line, especially Hungary. It would have been hard for me to go around the outside. And I don't know. I don't know what was going through his mind. Uh, it was he just uh, he waited for me to have my option, and then he would uh, would come closer, maybe thinking that I would back off. I, I never saw the wall. People say. How, uh, how close was to the wall? I said, I don't know. I, I closed my eyes. <laughs> I, I still do looking at the footage now. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, it, it is close, but it's, it no, was... Rubens, it's a, it's a cigarette paper. It I mean, is, there was nothing. I mean, <laughs> it was cheeky. Did you talk to him about it afterwards? No. It, I just, uh, he just sent send me a message saying, uh, I remember well, it was so polite. It was, uh, oh, if you ever thought I would uh, put you in that danger... Um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, I didn't want that and I hope that you, you understand and so on. And I remember answering Brazilian way like, ha, 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 I never thought of that. But for me, it wasn't him that wrote that message because he was too polite. He was just too, uh, but he was, he was a nice guy to actually have written to me. I felt there was a lot of history in that move i felt i thought i felt there was 15 years of being rivals in that one move yeah it was you determined to get past him yeah, saying i wouldn't have back off that that day for anything yeah um just having observed well raced lewis hamilton and observed what he's achieved since you retired um michael or lewis it's a tough uh, Brazil asked me that all the time. I'm sorry. It is really tough because because uh, I don't think we can have we cannot say that Jackie was better or worse than Alan Jones, than uh, Michael, than you know everyone that went through is different periods, different cars. I actually I feel sorry not to have been teammates to. Uh, whenever McLaren called me, I had signed a contract for Williams already after... Hang on, hang on, stop. What? Yeah, Hello? Yeah, I had a chance to actually sign for McLaren when I signed for Williams. And I feel sorry not to have actually driven alongside... Uh, so instead of Jensen? Yes, yes, to begin with. And uh, it was... I, I, hang on, there's a story there, for goodness <laughs> sakes. So what, Ron Dennis? Um, it was... Uh, How tempted were you? I was, I was tempted, but I, I had signed already. And with my gratitude for for things, I I didn't want it to to feel bad about it, you know. Like uh, Williams have always been a team that uh, from the beginning, oh, real racers and so on. And I 
at the end, then yes or no. But uh, I feel sorry. I, I wish uh, to have I had been driven Lewis's uh, teammate would have been yes, fascinating. Yeah, it was. Uh, All right. So I'm then, not then I would have been able to answer that question sure. to you. Yeah. But uh, right now, I think honestly, there was a time that I thought Lewis was losing it with life, but he recovered well. He really. What do you mean by that? By because you got when you are a star, you got tempted by everything you get um, you know people famous people doesn't matter if you actually money uh, and, uh, money or i don't know because i i never asked him that and i uh, it's actually not fair for me to say that but by the looks of the social media it looked like that way and all of a sudden uh, i thought mm, he's going the wrong way so many footballers they they lose their when was this when did you think this about lewis um it was after one or two championships. Maybe one championship was already going. And I tell you, he, now for me, he knows how to cope really well. He, t he says, oh, when I'm done Formula One, I might live in Los Angeles, which is great because he has good fun in those places. But when he comes here, he's still that humble guy and uh, going for it. So talent for talent, I think he's going to win more championships than Michael. Because right now, he's in in the shape of, uh, of uh, knowing what he needs. He's much better prepared than ever other time physically. And, uh, you know, I've been with Toto the last uh, race here in Brazil and him talking on the radio is, it's, uh, you can see his breathing. So, um, you know, I, I can see uh, someone very special there. Okay. Um, biggest regret? Um, I've worked my regrets and I think those regrets have become um, the positive after that. So the negative was was hard at the time, but then it made me go better. But uh, there's no regret. There's no, uh, you know, oh, what would have happened if in 95 I had signed for Benetton? to be was that an option as well yeah, oh my uh, goodness uh, Rubens all these Alessi, stuff I, I thought I been, sort of knew you <laughs> I could be Jean's Alessi so, then, sorry you would have gone alongside Gerhard yes no I would have been Alessi's team oh Alessi's team Berger Gerhard, actually right. took my place because he came with a beer sponsor or something and uh, so for example what would have been I had signed a contract for McLaren a long time back but I was on that option that I, uh, I could have stayed uh, beside like a Mika, you know, not driving and then staying. And I didn't want that. So, so there's so many things that could have happened that I don't regret. Um, I just, uh, my mind goes to if, what if. Yeah, okay. So, I don't think Mika thought he was going to be the test driver. I think he thought yeah. that it was going to be him and Andretti in the yes, car, didn't he? I but, think so. Wow. Well, what an incredible chat. Before we end, I want to, know, I want to talk to you about the next generation. Because your son, Eduardo, is... Uh, in fact, we saw him at the Mexican Grand Prix earlier yeah. this year, didn't we? Um, what's he racing? What's the plan? Also, why is he called Eduardo? Because I thought all males in your family were called Rubens. Yeah, but uh, we didn't have any <laughs> more just... space because my grandpa is, is Rubens. My father is Rubens. Me, Rubens. When I said... for the fr When I got married, Silvana said, uh, 
Okay, let me tell you one thing. Our son is not going to call Rubens. <laughs> that was the first thing before we actually signed the contract to get married. So uh, I, that was a yes straight away. <laughs> how funny. So, but what's the plan with him and how old is he? And um, Eduardo, the old block? Eduardo is just 18. Uh, he's running a little late, but he started late as well. I need to give him time. We're going to do... Uh, I'm looking for Europe for him. Um, for, for 2020? No, 2020, it became a little late. I wish... He was going to do uh, Europe, but it's. Uh, um, I got divorced in the middle of the last year, uh, in the middle of this year, and then things change. You know, I of course family is primary for me. It's uh, it's my whole life. But uh, you know, we did change a little bit the, the you know the way of looking into things. And I, although I'm a very uh, big family man, Eduardo is going to stay in, in in the U.S. to finish school before he can move on and do things. And that the contract that I had with his mom, which is okay. And uh, so I'll bring him to Europe uh, a year later, 2021. And uh, I'm looking for options and uh, of course for sponsors and things like this. But so more Formula Four? He's doing USF 2000 in, uh, in 2020, uh, which is the Formula Four of, of IndyCars, more or less, more or less. So what kind of racing dad are you, Ruben? Um, I think if you talk to to the guys from the team, um, I'm actually okay. You know, I'm I tend to be away because so many times I know if they actually change the gurney that is is going to do that. But I, I I you know I talk to Eduardo in a way. I say, look, what are your chances? What uh, what do you need? Well, I need a little bit more rear stability, blah, 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 blah. So, but is that how you're going to go fast? Oh, maybe not. Maybe then I need more front. So I'll, I'll, I'll just put something to his thoughts for him to make decisions. But Which he it, will then take to his engineers and yes. you don't get involved. I, if I'm there, it's hard not to. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I just love this mechanical side too much. Do you get nervous? I do get a lot of... Uh, I, 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 I tell you, I don't know what... To, the stroke that I had in last year, I don't know if it's to do with uh, with the with the feelings and so on, but I do get a l- really nervous. I mean, similar feeling to as if it was you yourself lining up. Or? No, it's worse. It's a lot worse because you know the uh, the danger side. You know uh, the emotions involved uh, in that uh, in that thing. Um, there was a race that we race uh, this year, the beginning of this year, we race, uh, they call sprint cars, but no, there's not the American one. It's the Brazilian one that went to race in Homestead. And uh, they invite us, so I race one race and Eduardo would race another race. And uh, I said, the only thing I ask, I don't want any engineer talking to us on the radio. I want Eduardo talking to me and me talking to him. It was the best feeling ever. Because he comes to me on the radio after the first lap. We had a problem. I had to pit on the on the formation lap because my seat came un- my seat belt came undone. And I, I thought of racing without the seat belt, but I said this is so bad for me because there was a camera I was filming from my YouTube channel that I said how irresponsible and how well, I'm going to be telling you know the kids that this is nice. And I so I decided to stop, put it. I was last and. It was raining, and everyone had slicks. And, uh, 
and he comes to me on the radio and said, Dad, I don't know if you see that, but uh, you overtook like seven cars on the first lap and you still put the fastest lap. <laughs> <laughs> that for me was the best yeah, best thing on ever that came to me on the radio. That's a wonderful message. Do you, do you worry about sending him to Europe? You know, there's the whole cultural thing, isn't there? Did you struggle with when you, you came to Europe aged? Um, 16. 16, Opal yeah. Lotus. You know, do you want to put your son through that? Because it's not easy, is it, coming it's over? It's not easy, but it teach me a lot. It teach me how to pay my bills, teach me how to behave myself, being alone. Um, university of life kind of thing. University of life. I speak five languages. Uh, so you don't, you don't worry about Eduardo doing the same? I don't. I think this is, this is much needed. Uh, he's going to be in the U.S. by himself this year, which are already going to put a, some effort on him on paying bills and doing stuff. Um, I don't. I don't. Uh, he he simulates all the time racetracks and things like this. He's really good uh, on on the, on feeling the car as well, just like me. Chip off so, the old block. Yeah. So the chances are that he can do well. I just need to be able to to get a help from. Uh, I don't want to be managing him. I want I want to help to you know uh, that people just. Uh, I talk to. Mark Blundell, I talked to Max Poppies, they all, you know, kind of uh, helped me in a way, but I, you know, and eventually they, they could be the ones that, that help further, but I, um, I'm, I need that little boom, because right now I'm spending all the money that I got from Formula One on, on making him race, and uh, I think he's good enough, I, I tell you, I, I could, it could be like a daddy type of thing, but I believe he's better than me, so... It's uh, there's a chance there. Wow! And do you know the best thing is him being in racing means that we're going to see more of Rubens around at the tracks. <laughs> Rubens, thank you <laughs> so much I for your love, time. What I a great that. chat! Great chat. So nice to catch up with you. Thank you. I love that too. Thank you. All right. Cheers. How do you begin to sum up a chat like that? It was hilarious in parts, particularly Ruben's story about going out to dinner with Senna in Adelaide. It was sad in places and emotional in others. But throughout it all, it was a fascinating listen and Ruben's filled in a lot of gaps. Who knew, for example, that he had an offer to drive for McLaren in 2010? Thank you, Rubens, for being so open. I love catching up with you and I'm sure the listeners enjoyed hearing from you as well. Well, that's it for another episode. But we'll be back next week with another big name from the world of Formula One. And thanks for your feedback about last week's episode with Aldo Costa. He's one of the sport's giants, even if he's not a particularly well-known giant. And it seems that you guys loved hearing from him. Richard Dawson got in touch via Twitter to say this. Having worked my way through the back catalogue of Beyond the Grid, your chat with Aldo Costa has to be, without doubt, my favourite one. What a modest and fascinating man he is. And the fact that he's been part of 26 world titles speaks volumes. Indeed it does, Richard. Aldo's a great guy and we wish him well at Delara. As ever, please keep your feedback coming because we love it. Remember to use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid and you can tweet me at Tom Clarkson F1. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out. Listener.